Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Matthew chapter number 17 and verse number 21. The Bible says, how be it, this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. Tonight I've entitled the message, and, and if I can tag this text with a title tonight, if I can do it, I, I simply called it Moving Mountains. Moving Mountains. Andrew Murray, speaking on prayer in his classic book entitled, With Christ in the School of Prayer. He said, faith needs a life of prayer in which to grow and keep strong. The other is that prayer needs fasting for its full and perfect development. Faith needs a life of prayer for its full growth and prayer needs fasting for its full and perfect development. God's people in Isaiah's day had been fasting, but without results. One would ask, why? God says they ignored the way fasting should change their lives, treating it as an empty ritual. May I parenthetically say that we can treat fasting the same way that we treat prayer, just as a ritual. We can treat fasting the same way that we treat praising and worship times, even in here at the house of God. It just becomes mechanical. It becomes traditional, without heart, just a habit. We can treat fasting this way. Isaiah 58, verse 6 and 7, he says, Is not this the fast that I have chosen? And so he rebukes them for the wrong motivation of fasting, and then he corrects them, and here's what he tells them. He says, you fast to loose the bands of wickedness or to break the bondage of sin. He says, to undo the heavy burdens and to let the oppressed go free and that ye break every yoke or the every addiction. He said, is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry and that thou bring the poor that are cast out in thy house? When thou seest the naked, thou will cover him, and thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. In other words, you can do good to your brother or your fellow neighbor, and so fasting should affect the way that we live. The motivation behind fasting, we must fast from a heart that influences our everyday life. And we can turn fasting into an end unto itself rather than a means to an end becomes a habit without heart. David says that fasting brings humility. 
In Psalm 35, in verse 13, the Bible says, But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. He says, I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer returned into mine own bosom. It is what John spoke about in chapter 10, in verse 30. He said, He must increase, but I must decrease. If we have a problem with pride, then I suggest to us tonight that fasting may be the solution to that pride. Can I remind us again tonight that God hates pride? God hates pride. And even in the book of Proverbs, he mentions these six things that the Lord doth hate and seven are abomination to him. And right out the box, he says, a proud look. God hates pride. And uh, it is the sin that caused the angels in heaven to fall. It is pride. We must heed the warning that Jesus spoke about in regards to fasting. He said this in Luke chapter 18 and verses 9 through 12. Here's what he says. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a publican. Verse 11, the Bible says, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Here's what he said. He said, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. They're extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even, I believe he looked to his left or to his right. He said, even like this guy, this publican, thank you, I'm not like that. And immediately, here's what he says. He said, I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I possess. Pharisees habitually fasted twice a week. They would fast on the second day and on the fifth day. You say, why did they fast on the second day and on the fifth day? Well, the answer is simple. On the second and fifth day of the week was when the market would open up, and there would come merchants and shoppers and buyers from different parts of the country and parts of the village, and there would be a huge audience. And what these men, these Pharisees who were fasting, they would kind of like frown and walk around, you know, very slowly and because they wanted to be recognized for their fasting. And Jesus says, when you fast, don't be like the Pharisees. Don't have a frown on your face. He says, put some oil on your face, take a shower, put a smile on your face, because your father who sees you in secret will reward you in the open. Joel says this fast. Joel says in chapter 2, verse 12, he says, therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all of your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. And here's what Job says, uh, Joel says, he says, verse 13, he says, and rend your heart and not your garments. In other words, this fasting thing has nothing to do with the exterior. This fasting thing doesn't have anything to do with you even impressing God and much less with impressing fellow man. He says, don't go out and start, rend and start tearing your clothes and all that and let everybody know that you're fasting. No, no, no. He says, rend or tear your heart. That's what he says. He says, and turn ye unto the Lord your God. And then he says, for, I want you to know this, for he is gracious 
and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repented him of the evil. My personal opinion tonight is that I believe that Jesus, I believe that Jesus expected every believer to pray. My opinion. You say, why do you say that? Because in Matthew chapter number six, in verse number three, Jesus speaks on certain issues. In Matthew six and verse three, here's what he says. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand is doing. And so Jesus expects every Christian to be a giver when you do it, not if you do it. And in verse number five, he says, and when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to stand in the synagogues in the corner of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. And so Jesus is speaking and he's saying, this is not an if thing. If you give and if you pray, no, when you give and when you pray. And then along the same lines, here's what he says, Brother Gilbert, in verse number 16. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 16. He says, moreover, when you fast. <laughs> and so when you give, when you pray, when you fast. He says, don't disfigure your face. And like I explained earlier if you do it in private, God will reward you in public. Fasting should be a part of our Christian lives. Moses fasted before he received the Ten Commandments. You remember that? Forty days on the mount, he ate nothing, nor did he drink anything. He fasted before the Ten Commandments. The Israelites fasted before a miraculous victory. Daniel fasted in order to receive guidance from God. Nehemiah, when he heard that the walls of Jerusalem were burnt down, the Bible says that he rent his clothing, he prayed, and he fasted before he went on to do a major building project. And then, of course, Jesus fasted before having the victory over his temptation in the wilderness. Fasting should be a part of our Christian life. Now, I will confess tonight that this is something that God is continually teaching me. Please understand tonight that this is something that I am trying to learn and to put into practice. Fasting. And of course tonight, if, if there's someone who is not physically able to fast, and it would be considered a risk health-wise to fast, then, then God knows your heart, okay? You should not fast. But I believe tonight that if God has placed fasting, obviously coupled with prayer, prayer and fasting always go together. If God has played fasting in your heart, and if you have a major decision coming up, if you have a major battle coming up, if you need revival in your life, and if you need someone who, who, who needs a great awakening, then I'm telling you, my brothers and sisters tonight, I believe that the answer is found in prayer and in fasting. Fasting controls your physical appetite to strengthen your spiritual appetite. Fasting isn't about seeking God's blessings, it's about seeking God. Fasting doesn't twist God's arms around his back and magically waves a wand for him to do what we want him to do. No. Fasting isn't even about food. Fasting is about our focus. It's about our focus. Fasting is not so much about saying no to the body as it is about saying yes to the spirit. And with these thoughts in mind regarding fasting and prayer, I want to take a look into this classic and very familiar story here in Matthew 17. Would you please notice tonight, number one, 
the distress of the child, the distress of the child. Now keep in mind that Jesus, Peter, James, and John had just come down from the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration? Two Old Testament characters showed up. It was Moses and Elijah. And I love what Peter said. Peter said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. It is good for us to be here. And they were frightened because the heavens were open and the voice of God thundered out from heaven. And here's what he says. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And they were so afraid. And, and once they got down from the mountain, something happened. And the Bible says in verse number 14, please look at it, Matthew 17 in verse number 14. The Bible says, and when they were come to the multitude, now there's a great gathering here of scribes, and there's a debate going on with the scribes, and the scribes are kind, to, uh, kind of making fun of the disciples, the nine that were left that didn't go up to the mountain. They were making fun of them because, because they didn't have the power to cast out this demon, okay? So that's the context here. So they're debating, and they're kind of picking at the disciples that were left there. The Bible says in verse 14, when they would come from the mountain, a certain man kneeling down to him uh, came to him and saying, so here is a certain man who notices Jesus coming down from the mountain. Now, I would believe that he first sought Jesus, but he didn't find him, so he went to his disciples, and his disciples weren't able to perform what he needed. And so he goes to Jesus, and verse number 15, here's what he says, Lord, have mercy on my son. For he is a lunatic and sore vexed. For oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. He goes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, my son's crazy. Because he tries to kill himself. When he sees a pit of fire, a fire going, he jumps into the fire and he tries to kill himself. Or when we walk by a river or a lake or, 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 or the sea, he, he tries to jump into the sea to drown himself. He's, he's crazy. I have a I have big problem. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verse 18, the Bible says, And whatsoever I take him, he teareth himself. He's, just, he's shaken and, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. I spake to thy disciples, and they couldn't cast him out. They could not. And here we find a poor father that brought his epileptic son to the disciples. And he's, in my opinion, battling epilepsy. Not only is he battling physically, but he's also battling spiritually. Because the Bible says that he has a devil in him. And so here is a young man. You say, how long has he been like this? Where the Bible tells us that he's been like this since he was a little child, since he was a kid. I don't know how old this boy is. He might be a teenager, maybe early 20s. He cannot be that old. But since he's a kid, he's battled with gnashing of the teeth. Since he's a kid, he's battled with foaming at the mouth. Since he's been a kid, he's battled with throwing himself on the ground and rolling on the ground. Since he's been a kid, he sees water and he desires to jump in it to drown himself. Or he sees fire and he desires to jump into the fire to burn himself. He wants to do away with his life and he's being controlled by this devil. Luke gives an interesting detail regarding this young man. 
Luke chapter 9 and verse 38, the Bible says this, And behold, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, for he is my only child. And so here we see the distress of the child. We see a hopeless situation. We see a desperate situation. We see a sad situation. A situation in which a father who's had a son who's battling this epilepsy, he has a son who's battling physically, and uh, if you ever had a child battle with some type of physical ailment, you understand that that is extremely, extremely taxing on the mom and on the father and on the whole family and on the child. He needs help. He needs somebody to give him liberation from this demon possession and somebody to give him liberation physically. And this father runs to the disciples. They're unable to help him. And so he runs to Jesus, and Jesus begins to work in this beautiful situation. I need help, and the child is crying out. The child is falling on the ground, and this is a crazy situation. This man comes to his wit's end. I say, Lord, I, I just, I can't deal with this anymore. Would you notice number two, if you're taking notes, the distress of the child. Number two, the difficulty to cure. The Bible says in verse number 16, Matthew 17 and verse 16, the Bible says, and I brought him to thy disciples. Now stop. If you look at Luke's gospel in chapter 9, the Bible says that Jesus gave him, gave the disciples authority over all demons. Gave them authority over all sicknesses. Jesus gave them that. And in fact, I believe that the disciples had already cast out certain demons. I believe that they had already had the power of God upon their lives. But in this specific situation, they were unable to cast out the demons. The Bible says, and I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Now, please understand that Jesus and the inner three were on the Mount of Transfiguration when this story happened. And so they would have brought him straight to Jesus, but he brought him to his followers and he could not cure him. Look at verse number 19 of Matthew 17. Verse 19, the Bible says, then came the disciples to Jesus apart. This is privately. <laughs> and he says, why could not we cast him out? Like, Lord, we're confused on this because we cast out devils before. You gave us your authority. You gave us your power. And, and yet, Lord, this time it didn't work like it normally works. Can I just simply say this tonight and don't miss this? This is going to help all of us. Sometimes as followers of Jesus Christ, we, we fail. You fail, I fail, we fail. We just fail. There are no Superman Christians here tonight. All we like sheep have gone astray. We don't have some super connectivity to God that we're on a different level just because we preach the word of God. We're just dust like everybody else. And maybe, just maybe, the disciples forgot about that. 
It was not only a failure of power, but it was also a failure of faith. They doubted Jesus' power. May I remind you what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 12? The Bible says this, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Past spiritual victory does not necessarily fuel today's spiritual battles. Please understand that. Let me say that again. Past spiritual victory does not necessarily fuel today's spiritual battles. Today's spiritual battles require fresh dependency and communication with the Holy God. One of the most interesting passages regarding this is Judges 16 and verse number 20. Judges 16 is the story of Samson. You know it better than I do. Verse 20, the Bible says this, and she said, speaking of Delilah, she said, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And here's what Samson did. He awoke out of his sleep, and here's what he said. Listen, church, he's, here's what he says. He says, I will go out as other times before and shake myself. You know what he was saying? I've been tied up before, and I'll just break these bands. I'm strong enough to get out of this bondage. And Samson was confident in his past spiritual battles, in his past victories. Now you say, well, you say, well, Samuel, what does that have to do with me? Here's what it has to do with you. Just because you had victory over sin yesterday doesn't mean that you will have victory over sin today. We have to understand that. Samson said, I'm going to break these bands, and I'm going to go out just like I did the other day. But here is the key. The ending of verse 20 of Judges 16, here's what he says. And he wished not, he didn't know, that the Lord had departed from him. Did Samson deserve all the power, strength, and victories? Did he deserve the power, strength, and victories, church? No. And if Samson did not deserve to have the strength, the power, and the victory, then what makes us think that we deserve the strength, the power, and the victory? Today, we must walk circumspectly, redeeming the time or taking advantage of the time because the days are evil. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And just because you had a victory yesterday, or victory over sin yesterday, does not mean that you will have victory today. No, every day the child of God must wake up and understand that there is a bullseye on our back and we must understand that the devil hates what God is doing in our life and the devil would love nothing more with him and the demons of hell to destroy our influence for the glory of God and for the kingdom of God. And so we wake up every day and we understand that we are in a fight, we are in a battle, we are in a war, and we cannot afford to have confidence in the flesh and like Samson of Old, go out like, la like yesterday and break these bands and not knowing that the spirit of almighty God has departed from us.
the power of God. I'm going to end on the best point. We've seen the distress of the child and the difficulty to cure. Disciples, they, they just didn't have it. That's okay. But would you notice, number three, if you're taking notes, the deliverance of Christ. The deliverance of Christ. Turn back to Matthew 17, and look what Jesus did in verse number 18, please. Matthew 17 and verse number 18. The Bible says in Matthew 17 and verse 18, and Jesus rebuked the devil. Let's read that together because I want the devil to hear it. Here we go. Verse number 18 of Matthew 17. Verse number 18. Ready, begin. And Jesus, Jesus rebuked the devil. The devil that had possessed this child for so long. The devil that made this child attempt to kill himself when he saw water and fire. The devil that brought anguish and struggle to the life of a father and I believe a mother and a family who is trying to take care of this precious kid. The Bible says that Jesus rebuked the devil. The Bible says, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured, verse 18, from that very hour. In another gospel, the Bible says that the child fell as dead, and Jesus took the child by the hand and lifted him up. Now, we must understand, my brothers and sisters, that though the powers of hell and the demons of hell and the devil himself is mighty, we must understand that though they are mighty, they are not almighty. There is one that is almighty, and all power is given unto him in heaven and in earth, and all hell bows before this one, and that one is the Lord Jesus Christ. I like it. He rebuked them. Verse 19, the Bible says his disciples came to him and says, why could we not do that? <laughs> verse number 20, I believe, is key tonight. Would you notice in Matthew 17, verse 20? The Bible says, and Jesus said unto them, you want to know why you couldn't cast out that demon? Do you want to know why you couldn't break the bondage of sin? Why your addiction is still there? You want to know why you couldn't do this? Here it is. Because you're just like that father that came to me, and you're just like the Pharisees surrounding you, and you're just like the scribes you were debating with, and, he, and, and ultimately, you're just like my people. And what do you mean by that? Watch what he says here, verse number 20, and Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief. Because of your unbelief. He says, for verily I say unto you, if ye have faith, the grain of a mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Jesus rebuked them, and he says, man, you're a faithless and perverse generation. Faithless, you are just like my people, the Jews' people. You don't have any faith in me. How can you be with me for so long and see everything that I've done and yet not have the faith or the belief that you, in my name, can do what only I can do? And would you notice right there the possession of faith? Jesus just says this, if ye have faith, if ye have faith. In Mark's gospel, the father comes to him and he says he's been like this since a child. And he throws himself in the fire seeking to destroy himself. And here's what Jesus told the father in Mark's gospel, chapter 9, verse 23. And Jesus said unto him, 
If thou canst believe, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believe, all things. And here's what the father of the child cried out, a very familiar verse. You know what he says? He said, cried out with tears. He said, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Have you ever been there when you said, Lord, I believe, but would you help the part of me that just doesn't believe? You see, that shows our humanity. That shows our frailty. That shows our weakness. Lord, there's been time when we have fasted and when we have prayed and when we have begged with tears and we have, we have just pleaded with God and we go to our prayer closet and we say, Lord, I believe, Lord, I do believe, but there's just a part of me that doesn't believe. Lord, would you help that part of me that does not believe? You say, is this foreign to the New Testament Christian and to the church age Christian? Absolutely not. Of course it is not because my Bible tells me about these three Hebrew children that were in a foreign land of Babylon and they learned the way of the Chaldean tongue. And the Bible says that when Nebuchadnezzar erected the statue, that he had all of Babylon bowing before the statue. And these three Hebrew children answered this way, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, we're not careful to answer you regarding this matter. In other words, we don't even have to discuss it among ourselves. We decided a long time ago that we're not going to bow to any graven images because we know that the God of Israel is the one and true God. We've been raised right. My mother and my father raised us right. And here is what they said. He's able to deliver us. But if not. <laughs> you say, what is that? They believe that God could deliver them. Y'all with me tonight? But you know what their unbelief said? They kept it real, and I love them. You know what they said? But if not, it was kind of like, Lord, you're God and you have the power to deliver us, but if not, it doesn't matter. Our faith is not going to waver. And disciples, you've been with Jesus. You've seen the, the marriage and how he turned the water to wine. You've seen the miracles and, and you've seen the power of God. And Lord, we believe in this man comes rushing to Jesus. And Jesus says, if you believe, all things are possible to them who believes. And the man said, I believe, I believe. I'm crying, I believe. But Lord, would you help my unbelief? <laughs> let, me, let me just tell you something tonight. Either you have faith or you don't. There's no neutral when it comes to faith. Either you have it or you don't. <laughs> he says, do you possess this faith? And then he talks to them about the portion of their faith. Well, what did Jesus say? Look at there right there, please. Look what he says there in verse number 20. He says, if you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, as a grain of a mustard seed, well, what is Jesus talking about there? Well, in Matthew 13, in verse 31 through 32, he's given them another parable, and the Bible says he put forth unto them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a grain of a mustard seed, which a man took and he sowed it into the field. Matthew 13, 32, the Bible says, which indeed is the least of all seeds. So it's the smallest of the smallest seeds. But when it is grown, it is the greatest among the herbs and becometh a tree 
so that even the birds of the air come and they make their little nest there. You've heard it said before, it's not the size of our faith, it's the size of our God. And God can take something so small and begin to grow it and begin to grow it and begin to grow it. And next thing you know, you have a field of these mustard trees and bushes all over the place. You say, why? Because something that is so small when fueled and, 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 and given nutrients by a God that's so big, miraculous things begin to happen. And so this is what happened when David fought Goliath, right? David told Goliath, you coming to me with a sword and a spear and a shield. And he says, you're coming to me with earthly things and the earthly things will always crumble before the heavenly things. You can come to me with your shield. You can come to me with your spear. You can come to me with your sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord God of Israel, whose armies of the living God you have defiled. And today God's going to give me your head and I'm going to feed your sorry body to the carcasses of the field. Why? So that all the earth may know, not about David, not about Israel, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Pray the Lord. And here's what God says. It is if you have faith and that faith will begin to grow. But sometimes we battle unbelief just like the disciples did. Notice the power of their faith. Look at verse number 20. Ye shall say unto this mountain, remove hence, go to yonder, and it shall be removed. And notice at the end of verse number 20, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. It is a common Jewish phrase to say and to be understood about removing mountains. Jews understood that when someone said, oh, you got a mountain in your way, or you need a mountain to be removed, they understood it, Miss Gloria, as having something difficult before them. This is something that is very difficult before you. The bottom line in understanding the power of faith is this. If you believe, God will do precisely what God said he would do. God will do precisely what he said he will do. There's a song that's entitled, A Man of Your Word. And if God said it, we must believe it. If God said it, we must believe it. Tonight, there's mountains, yeah, I'm not talking about physically, I'm talking about spiritually now. There's spiritual mountains that seem impossible to be moved. And God sometimes will give us the power to move the mountain in Jesus' name. And sometimes God will give us a, a, a way to go through the mountain or a way to go around the mountain, or he'll move us instead of moving the mountain. But the point is this, that God will do what he said he will do. Do you agree with that tonight? This kind. This kind can't happen. What do you mean this kind? <laughs> this kind of demonic possession. This kind of bondage. This kind of mountain. This right here that's in front of you, you will not be able to battle against that but by prayer and fasting. Faith is recognizing that God can do what I cannot do. If you're taking notes tonight, we jot this down and it may help you. We pray and we fast. We pray and we fast. But understand this, church, tonight. 
but only God can move mountains. We pray and we fast, but only God can move mountains. You say, Sammy, I need, I need the Lord to help me. I do too. I have a this kind in my life. There's some bondage in my life. There's some addiction in my life. Maybe there's a wayward son or a daughter in your life. Maybe there's a marriage. Maybe there's a physical need. Whatever your mountain is, I want to encourage you tonight. If God is putting your heart to fast and to pray, do it. Do it. Do it. Jesus told them, faithless and perverse generation, Jesus, please tell us, why could we not cast him out? Please tell us. And I think that his answer surprised him. He said, because of your unbelief. What? Your unbelief. If you had the faith, nothing shall be impossible unto you. You know the scripture in Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, it is what church? It's what? It's impossible. That's a good verse if you stop it there. But without faith, you can help me preach tonight. But without faith, it is what? It's impossible. What's impossible without faith to please God? If you don't have any faith, you're not gonna please God. It's impossible to please God without faith. That means if you're trying to plan out how this is gonna go and plan out how that go, and, I'm, and I understand that the horse is prepared for the day of battle, I understand all that, but safety is not of the horse, and safety is not in the army. Safety belongs to the Lord. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, church. For he that cometh to God, I'm ending here right now, two minutes. He that cometh to God must believe that he is. If we come to God and if we don't believe that he is, then you might as well not come to God at all. If you come to God in prayer, and if you're fasting, and if you're preaching, and if you're praising, and if you're singing, and if you're serving as an usher, and if you're doing the soundboard, and no matter what work of love or labor of love you are doing towards the Lord Jesus Christ, if you come to God in prayer and fasting, and you don't believe that he's God, then get up and go about your way. You're wasting your time, and you're not talking to anybody but yourself. But the Christian who fasts and understand that this discipline is to give them more hunger for God, and to understand more about God and to let him know that I love you enough to skip a couple meals, to turn off the TV a little bit, to turn my phone off because I want to direct all my focus and attention on the Lord. And as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so my soul panteth after thee. I thirst for the living God. And if you go to God, you better believe that he is. He is what, preacher? He is God. He's God, my friend. 
Say, what will he do when we believe that he is God? Well, the Bible tells us he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. That's it. I end with the story, really just a statement. I read that there is an orphanage in India where the staff and the children fast every Friday. An orphanage in India who fast every Friday. And what do they call the fast on Friday? I'll leave you with this. They call it their day of feasting on Jesus. <laughs> and so it's not a day of fasting, it's a day of feasting. And may we, as those in India, be counted faithful to have times of fasting, but wait, times of feasting on the bread of life. Oh, praise his name. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.